Welcome to the 355th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with Krishna Sudhir, author of the novel Prince of Tipgar, Nudron and the Corpse in the Quadrangle. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Krishna Sudhir, author of the new novel, Prince of Tipgar, Nudron and the Corpse in the Quadrangle. Sudhir's first novel was Nudron and the Monks of Mirar. Krishna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel yet, Prince of Tipgar, Nusron and the Corpse in the Quadrangle, how would you describe the novel? Thank you, Jeff. Uh, this is the second in the Prince of Tipgar series. Uh, so I'd written the first novel uh, three or four years ago. That was Nusron and the Monks of Mirar. Um, it was uh, a story about a prince who grows up uh, on a planet. The planet is called Syzygis. It's in a distant galaxy. Uh, he grows up in the planet uh, in the palace, and a few chapters into the book, uh, a terrorist event uh, happens in the city, uh, and he's forced to actually leave the palace with his teacher. And then he has a number of adventures uh, with his teacher, and um, you know he encounters love and betrayal and romance and death and so on. Uh, and he grows up along the way. So we leave him kind of as a teenager, maybe around the age of 14, 15. The second book, uh, Nudran and the Corpse and the Quadrangle, starts with him as a sophomore student on a university campus. Uh, folks who've uh, been to campuses in the U.S. recognize perhaps bits and pieces of uh, Berkeley, Stanford, uh, USC, the University of Southern California. These are campuses that I've spent a lot of time on. Uh, either as a parent or as a teacher. Uh, and uh, I incorporated uh, descriptions of those campuses into the book. So in this second book, the college student, Nujran, uh, again, has a series of adventures. Uh, he has a, a new romance. There's a kidnapping, an escape from prison, rescue missions, and so on. Uh, and we we continue the story. This is going to be the middle book of the trilogy, uh, so there will be a third book after this. So we leave 
him at the end, still as a college student. And I'll pick up in the beginning of uh, book three where we left off. And so do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to writing the trilogy? Sure. Uh, You know, I was always uh, fascinated by uh, fantasy fiction in the young adult context. Uh, I have two sons. They're 26 and 24 now. But when they were younger, I used to read a lot of uh, young adult fiction to them. Obviously, we read all the novels of Harry Potter together. Uh, We were fascinated by the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the uh, Aragon books and so on. So uh, while reading to them, I had this concept in my mind, uh, someday I should write. Um, I'm a physician, a cardiologist by training, and have spent most of my life in science and medicine. Um, and while I've, I've written on and off you know, for fun, uh, I didn't really write anything non-scientific um, from a serious perspective. So when the uh, kids left and went off to college, um, I decided, you know, I should uh, start writing my my novels. I decided on the genre of fantasy fiction for young adults simply because that was my uh, favorite genre, reading to to the kids. uh, And uh, that's how the first book was born. Well, I know, as you mentioned, that you've uh, uh, worked as a a cardiologist, and I know you've written a lot of nonfiction and academic articles. Was it a big shift for you to writing fiction? Yes, it's uh, it's quite a quite a big shift. It's a seismic shift, if you like. <laughs> the reason is that when we write science, uh, we are asked to stick to uh, hard, cold facts, right? So uh, you do your experiment in a, in in a scientific environment. You get your observations, you put uh, up your results, and then you discuss your findings. Um, you know, using the literature to support your findings, or your findings have moved in a direction away from the literature. So you discuss it appropriately. Uh, When I was doing my PhD way back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, I remember when I wrote my thesis, uh, in some discussion section, my supervisor would would write, uh, you know, uh, Krishna, think about this. This is kind of fiction. (laughs) And exclamation marks. Now, he didn't mean it as a compliment because in science, you're supposed to interpret, you know, with facts, and I thought to myself, mm, "Okay, someday maybe I'll really write fiction." So I think fiction writing is very different because, uh, for a scientist, it's quite liberating in a sense because you can be released from uh, facts, right? And one of the reasons I set it in the fantasy domain was I could take advantages of a lot of phenomena that can't be really explained by you know standard physics, chemistry, and and biology. I guess young adults often refer to these as as powers or superpowers. So many of my characters have uh, a strange talents, which uh, I've explained in the books is quite normal on this particular planet in this galaxy, but may not be normal to people observing these phenomena on planet Earth. So I was able to kind of detach myself from scientific reality and move into the fantasy world and, and write in a more unrestrained fashion if you like, compared to scientific writing. Sure. So were you also inspired originally by not only the young adult novels that you read to your sons, but also some of the uh, novels that you read as a kid about um, heroes and, and adventures? Of course. Um, I happened to grow up in India. Um 
so my, the first 25 years of my life were actually in India. So in India, when you grow up, um, you know, you have a, a, a choice of uh, two different types of literature, if you like, and most kids go for both. You have the uh, Indian literature, particularly um, um, coming down from ancient mythology. Uh, so you have books like the Mahabharata, the Ramayana, and a whole set of book, books called the Puranas. The word Purana means old. So you're talking about ancient texts, and they're filled with wonderful stories of princes and princesses and kings and queens. Uh, there's often a lot of fighting going on between various kingdoms. There is uh, love and romance. There's betrayal. There's uh, politics and so on. And these these uh, uh, stories are pretty fascinating for the young kid. And they make it easier for you because when you're a very young kid, you read this in sort of comic book format and then you graduate to reading it as, you know, in the in in the written version, right? In books without pictures. Um, and then, of course, there was the access to Western literature. India was under British rule for uh, at least a couple of centuries. Uh, so we had access to uh, British literature quite easily. Uh, I started on the novels of Enid Blyton and then graduated to detective fiction, Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes, and so on. Uh, I'm still fascinated by detective fiction. Uh, I read a little bit of uh, Russian literature because there was a strong uh, connection between India and the former Soviet Union politically. So we had a, access to a lot of Russian literature. Uh, I read it in English, of course, but, you know, uh, novels like uh, Boris Pasternak, Pasternak's uh, Dr. Zhivago, Crime and Punishment. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Uh, uh, Dostoevsky's novel and so on. I was also lucky enough to study uh, French as a, as a teenager. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I went to French classes and I learned to read uh, French literature in the original language. So uh, I read uh, the, the novels of, uh, of uh, Camus and Sartre and Madame Bovary by Flaubert and uh, Voltaire's Candide and so on. So I think for in my formative years, there was kind of a mix of Indian literature, English language literature, and a little bit of... Uh, you know, what we uh, dub as foreign language literature, if you like, uh, a little bit of a mix of French and Russian, if you like. Right. So how do you balance writing fiction with your science and medical career? Um, yeah, they're, they're uh, separate, but obviously they intersect. Um, so uh, in the pre-COVID era, which seems a long time ago, but it's actually just a few months ago now, right, uh, uh, I was flying a lot for my work. So I actually work for a medical device company and they send me all over the globe. Uh, very often these are long flights. Um, you know, the um, flight that I took most frequently was San Francisco to Singapore, which is 16, 16 and a half hours. And I started asking myself on these long flights, you know, uh, how can one make one's time more productive? So, you know, the flight takes off, you have a bit of dinner, you have a couple of drinks, and then maybe you watch a movie or two. So um, instead of that, I started uh, writing, and I would write sometimes a page or two on a flight, and sometimes I'd be writing eight to ten pages on a flight. Because, you know, you've uh, you've had your dinner, you've had a couple of drinks, you're feeling mellow. It's uh, The cabin of a plane is isolated at 35,000 feet. And unless you choose to connect on Wi-Fi, you can actually be uh, quite detached from the world, so to speak. So you're in your little cocoon there. And um, that was really the place I started to write. So it was on my way to a scientific conference overseas that I was writing these novels. So <laughs> of about a page or two uh, and sometimes five to six pages per flight. So we all need to start taking international flights. When COVID time. goes away. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly. So um, what is your what was your writing process for the first two Prince of Tipgar novels? Did you write them organically or did you write an outline before? No, I'm not very good at outlines. Obviously, again, for scientific uh, writing, we need the outline beforehand. We often discuss the outline with uh, with our supervisor beforehand and so on as students of science. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, writing fiction is fun. Um, it's a hobby that's, uh, uh, that's uh, taken up a lot of my uh, life recently in a very enjoyable way. Um, so, uh, I don't actually plan, so I don't know what's going to happen when I sit down at my keyboard. Uh, I have a vague idea of, uh, of where the, uh, novel is going. So for example, when I started writing, I knew it was going to be a trilogy because I'm fascinated by trilogies, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Matrix trilogy, the uh, Bourne trilogy, if you're a fan of the movies, so there's a lot, lot of good trilogies out there, both in literature and in the movies. So I knew it was going to be a trilogy. And I had a vague idea, you know, uh, what age Nudran would be in each of the novels. Uh, I had a vague idea of the setting. So there's a little bit of exposition in book one. Uh, but apart from that, uh, no, I, I look at the empty page and then it kind of fills up on its own. And then I go back to it and say, okay, that's interesting how that came out. <laughs> <laughs> so so given your success so far with the first two books in the trilogy what writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories and novels 
Uh, sure, that's a good question. So uh, a couple of things. Firstly, you need to find a quiet space and uh, maybe a quiet period in your life. So the reason uh, I came to it in my 50s was, you know, I was pretty busy uh, prior to that uh, career, work, kids, and so on. And I didn't have really that quiet, dedicated time, uh, you know, to focus on writing. So that's the first thing. You need you need quiet time in your life. Uh, second, you need a quiet space. So for me, it was the cabin of a, of a, of a plane, you know, flying across the globe, uh, transcontinental flights. Uh, but now in times of COVID, I'm doing the same thing at home. I have a very quiet uh, space at home. A, a room where I sit, uh, it's um, it's reasonably quiet, and I just focus on what I'm doing. So I think you know it's uh, it's important to have that uh, that peace of mind when uh, when you're composing, at least for me. And the third thing I learned along the way is uh, there's always the temptation to edit as you're writing, to do them contemporaneously. And I found, at least for myself, that that's a mistake. And uh, I started reading about how other people write. And turns out that uh, writing uh, in terms of uh, creativity and editing are kind of different functions of the brain. So it's best to just write, let that creativity flow, and then leave the work for a while and come back and edit later. In fact, uh, Hemingway said it tongue-in-cheek, you know, write drunk, edit sober. I wouldn't go that far, but, <laughs> you know, write in a creative space and then come back and, and you know, editing is much more a scientific process, right? Have you chosen the right word? Have you got the right syntax? Does the phrase sound right? And so on. And that's best done, in my mind, uh, separate from creativity. Sure. Well, what books have you read recently that you enjoyed, either fiction or nonfiction? Right. Uh, so when, when I'm writing, I try not to read too much fiction. I binge watch a lot of television. Uh, my sons are in the movie industry, so they tell me what to watch and I watch a lot of stuff. Uh, but when I'm not writing, I do a lot of reading, I think, as most writers do. Uh, so my recent reading, I um, I reread, and I'm actually halfway through it. The uh, one of my favorite novels from my teenage years, Crime and Punishment. It's a very complex novel, so I wanted to go back and read Dostoevsky. Um, I also like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and in my twenties, I read uh, One Hundred Years of Solitude and loved it. But I'd not read many of his other novels. I was fascinated by his writing style of magical realism. So I returned to Love in the Time of Cholera uh, fairly recently. And then I also wanted to return to the short story writing world. You know, there are a lot of wonderful short story writers out there. And my mother, who's a translator in India, recommended that I read the short stories of Somerset Mom. Uh, so I've just finished Rain, uh, which is a short story of his set in the South Pacific. Uh, interestingly, it's a um, it's it talks about the interaction between a doctor and a priest on a South Pacific island, and the sort of um, uh, interface, if you like, between religion and science. And he discusses it beautifully in the context of this uh, story set in the South Pacific. That's great. So, are you working on the third novel in the trilogy now? I am, Jeff. Uh, I just finished the first chapter the other day. And when I say finish, I mean from a creative aspect. Uh, it'll probably go through multiple edits. Uh, you know, my first novel had, uh, I think, 23 different versions before I was happy with the final one. I think I did better with the second novel. I think I had seven or eight complete edits before uh, 
deciding that it was ready to go. So I've completed uh, the first chapter of the third novel. Um, Nujran is a, um, a, a senior student at uh, college. So it's, he's at the same college, but he now has an exchange. He's part of an exchange program where he's spending a year abroad. So we pick up with him in another country. Um, for countries, I actually use anagrams of countries on planet Earth. So he's actually... Uh, a final year student in the at a university in the country called Nadii, N-A-D-I-I, which uh, is just an anagram of India. So we start off the book with uh, him at uh, at a university there, and uh, I'm not quite sure how which direction it will take or how it will turn out, but I've made a beginning. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, sure. Uh, I have an Amazon authors page that has a lot of information on me. So if you just put my name, Krishna Sudhir, into Amazon, it'll come up. I also have a website, which is krishnasudhir.com, uh, which has a lot of information there. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Prince of Tipgar is how you'll find me there. And that's D-Y-P-G-A-R. Um, I also have a Twitter account. I'm not very active there. I'm told I need to be more active. <laughs> so, uh, quite easy to find on the on the internet. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Krishna Sudhir, author of the new novel, Prince of Tipgar, Nujaran and the Corpse and the Quadrangle. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Krishna, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you very much, much Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye. Great. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.